Hello everyone. How often are you excited about a new textbook? As a person with a bachelor's degree in engineering, an MBA, and also a master's in science and information systems, I've consumed my fair share of academic dry textbooks. But, you know, when I heard about a new comprehensive textbook about blockchain for healthcare, I got really excited and was immediately motivated to bring the co-author, David Metcalf, to the show. If you want to truly understand the scope of disruption that blockchain can have in the healthcare industry, you definitely want to check out this new book. A link to learn more about it is in the show notes. Alex Kahana from episode 25 is a co-author of the book, and I'm hoping to reach out to other people and contributors to learn more about their projects. This is actually the third blockchain healthcare book that I've read, and I think it is the best so far. The other two are Peter Nichols' The Power of Blockchain for Healthcare, and the other one is Gordon Jones's Universal Health Coin, who I actually interviewed in episode 13. In this episode, David and I discuss the process of writing the book and how it could be used to start a conversation with healthcare stakeholders. There are dozens of real-life use cases and examples of how blockchain is already being used to improve the space. It also provides the foundations of blockchain technology and how the future could be like when combined with other technologies like artificial intelligence and wearable mobile devices. Remember to follow Health Unchained on Twitter and reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have any feedback or questions. Don't miss out on the conversations that are happening in the Telegram community. You can join by going to t.me slash healthunchained. I appreciate each and every one of you listeners, and thank you for tuning in today. Now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogum, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Well, welcome to Health Unchained. This is episode 26, and today I'm with Dr. David Metcalf, director of the Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab at the University of Central Florida's Institute for Simulation and Training. He is the lead author of a new 500-page textbook titled Blockchain for Healthcare, Innovations that Empower Patients, connect professionals, and improve care. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for, Thanks for joining. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about your background into research and what you what got you interested in writing and teaching? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm really an entrepreneur at heart and uh, have been involved in a number of emerging technology fields from my uh, NASA days and early training and all the way through several different startups and companies to uh kind of uh, thinking I was going to retire into academia. Didn't quite work out that way, but uh, it's been a really fun ride getting to work with a lot of the uh, large companies, a lot of the health organizations, and also within our government for a lot of the research and development and new ideas they want to pursue. Yeah, and you know, let's talk a little bit about your book, and I know there's many co-authors that helped to write the book. When did you start and when did you, you know, think about getting started? Yeah, so this was uh, kind of a speed tour. So to step back a few years, uh, we had won a National Science Foundation grant after 
my students, who I'm humbled to say, had taught me about uh, blockchain and about uh, Bitcoin uh, back in 2013, 2014. And we won a, a National Science Foundation grant in 2014, 2015 to do something called HealthShares. So HealthShares was a project to look at both electronic health records on a blockchain and also wellness records was where it kind of pivoted to because it was really hard in that era to have a protocol fast enough to be able to support what you might need on um, uh, electronic health records at the time too. But uh, that was, there was not growth of that too for a book that we did about uh, two years ago uh, called Blockchain Enabled Applications. As soon as my students explained to me what blockchain was, I said, it's not just gonna be for cryptocurrencies and for the digital cash of the future. It's gonna change every vertical industry. So the first book we wrote was about how multiple vertical industries, FinTech, RegTech, education, EdTech, um, insurance tech, um, and health tech could all be changed. Uh, about 20% of the book was health. When our publishers that we'd worked with for four or five other books at Hims saw the book, they said, number one, they said, you know, why isn't this a Hims book? I said, well, it's across multiple industries. They said, next year, this was last year at Hims. they said, hmm. next year, we want a book on this, on the shelves. Wow. And I said, okay, so we had a one-year clock ticking down <laughs> to uh, put together a fairly substantial book. And really, the only way we do it is by collecting up some of the other people that I had gotten to meet who we had worked on the prior book together. And also some of the other industry leaders who've been shaping the industry, like John Bass. And then we also added Alex Kahana. Without those, without the five of us all working together, it wouldn't have gotten done. And without the 50 plus contributors we had too, it wouldn't have gotten done. But by doing a book this way, we kind of got to have the voice of many different um, types of individuals who were shaping the early days of blockchain and looking at some of their best case studies, their best thought, the projects they'd already done and them kind of giving us an unvarnished real world view of what those projects look like. Those were all things that uh, really helped the book to come together and have some life and a variety of voices. Yeah. And you know, you're not, you know, you've been in the healthcare space and what for a while now. In 2014, you wrote a book called M Health Innovation Best Practices mm -hmm. for the Mobile Frontier. So, you've been looking at how mobile technologies can improve healthcare and the way consumers uh, consume healthcare. So, you know, I'm sure that also influenced some of the writing in your uh, blockchain book as well. Uh, tell me a little yeah. bit about HIMS and that experience this year in 2019. Yeah, sure. So, uh, been coming to HIMS for a lot of years, and uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing for the past probably seven years, maybe eight years now, is to set up something called the Intelligent Hospital, and it's part of the Intelligent Health Pavilion. It's the largest pavilion out on the show floor, and what it is is four days of setting up a simulated hospital and a simulated home, about 25,000 square feet, you know, every one of the major wards of the hospital, and interconnecting and interoperating all this different technology and showcasing it too for the various companies that are across the show floor, but then they get to bring this together and show the hospital systems, hey, this really can be done. You really can put this together. So that occupies a lot of our time. And we also, as educators at University of Central Florida, get to curate a lot of who comes and gives presentations in that pavilion space too. So we almost have conferences within a conference on anything from artificial intelligence 
We did a thought-controlled augmented and virtual reality interface this year, as well as a few blockchain sessions and a whole wearables Wednesday. So going back <laughs> to what you said about the 2014 book and the 2012 book on mHealth and the two books we did on connected health with HIMS also, those are all things that we started to build upon. So this year there was a lot of work about blockchain and you saw it across the whole of HIMS, but really the whole premise of the book too is it's blockchain and, and then you hmm. fill in the blank with what other emerging technology process or policy you might have. That's really the secret sauce and the power that blockchain will unlock across the healthcare space and maybe other industries too. That's really interesting. One thing I, I caught there, you were talking about thought-controlled devices or AR devices. Can you kind of expand just quickly? Because that's <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, let's do another episode because that's a whole topic in and of itself. <laughs> well, how about short. blockchain and thought-controlled devices? Right? <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. You know, okay. I, I'm, I'm just there's say, opportunity, that maybe fellas. Maybe that's uh, something yeah. we'll go to. Yeah. So uh, we uh, took a Microsoft Hololens and mm -hmm. several other devices and a uh, NeuroSky and a Muse. And okay. you can just think about a heart and a heart appears in a hologram in front of you within the augmented or, or virtual reality space, too. And uh, the programmers on our team actually built it in such a way that you could use multiple low-cost devices together and swap them out. So if you needed to do a certain type of uh, research activity, you could um, use a Muse. Another one, you might use a NeuroSky. And you could switch swap out between the various headsets too for augmented and virtual reality too. So that's something that we uh, showcased at this year's Hims too. Besides the blockchain book too. So again, we we like to work in a number of different emerging technology areas and see where they interconnect. That's really the why our lab is named. We call it Metal for short, but it's mm -hmm. Mixed Emerging Technology Integration Lab. The integration across all these different technologies is kind of the point where you have a lot of fun, where our students get to have a lot of fun. And oftentimes the crossroads that unlocks a lot of value for uh, something comes out of the laboratory, we kind of call it lab to launch. You might have something that uh, you know, goes all the way into a commercial success too for our investors or other people in the community. So that's kind of what I like about being in academia is it's a crossroads of a lot of those different people, places and uh, groups that uh, all have an interest in seeing either education or healthcare advanced. So when thinking about blockchain adoption and awareness amongst the people and organization HIMS versus the people and organizations uh, like health systems and health plans and just patients and consumers in general, where has the adoption started and where is it lagging, do you think? Yeah, so some of the first examples that I saw were people who were trying to do what we were doing, electronic health records. It seems like a no-brainer, seems really natural. Unfortunately, it's not. There's a lot of complexity to that, too. But um, then we started seeing the trend of looking at the supply chain, anything throughout hospital systems to track assets that are that are vital to the healthcare um, practice, or maybe for things like drug counterfeiting across the globe, too. That's another one of the ones that we saw early on. But um, I've started to see some other trends that I'm really kind of bullish on recently too, that, that may be of interest to our audience. One is looking at how you might take something like blockchain in games for patient engagement too, and a way to incentivize 
Um, and then complex financial transactions too are an easy target, I think, too, because that complexity can be reduced through some of the technologies in blockchain that could be helpful too. Um, the term that's usually used is smart contracts, whether you uh, believe they're truly smart or not is another another story, but um, we are seeing a lot of people who are automating or semi-automating a lot of their processes. And that's really the power behind smart contracts to automate what portion a patient pays versus what portion is copay versus which portion might be benevolence from hospital system, the discounting rate for a particular insurer, what the insurer pays, becomes a pretty complex transaction. If you can automate some of that or speed up some of those processes, you've helped improve the access to care and the cost of care by reducing some of those administrative costs. So that's another one. And um, there's a lot of other ones in, throughout the book too. We have a lot of special topics that people uh, recommended, anything from blockchain and health in smart cities, kind of environmental uh, blockchain and health and artificial intelligence. I, Those are one, some of the chapters that are kind of interesting too. One of the things I noticed uh, is you have separate sections where you talk about the like the present uh, use cases and then the future use cases. Yeah. And in the future use cases, you throw in uh, medical records into the future use cases. And that's kind <laughs> of uh, something that people might get heard about because there's a lot of ICOs that started with the premise of starting medical records on the blockchain companies. Um, yeah. Do you think that, <laughs> you know, there's still opportunity for them to grow over time and develop into some sort of medical record system on the blockchain or is it just way I, too early I for them to start? Yeah, I do, but we put that in the future section because when you look at the evidence, which we have the data in the book too, about some of those ICOs, which ones have been successful so far? Maybe success is even just, are they still in existence and sustaining right. at this point? But, um, you know, the evidence is not there yet. Mm -hmm. So we didn't feel comfortable putting this in the current now real world scenario section. We felt comfortable putting in the future section for that reason, too. And inside of that now section, uh, Alex and, uh, and uh, Kevin Miller um, did a nice chapter that talks about some of the stats that they looked at of which ICOs had been successful and Frankly, we haven't had um, to this to date a major, uh, for from an investor standpoint, a major market burst. You know, something that's been a breakaway success on there too. There have been some successful transactions. I'm not saying that, but those are things I think we're still kind of waiting for to see how that unfolds. So we didn't. We wanted to make sure that we gave a realistic view. That's why I was so happy. And there's really three sections. The first section gives some of the basic primer and overview, the fundamentals is what we call that section. But it also gives to as people telling their story about some of their early um, successes and failures. And they're very candid about it. And I thought that was great that people were willing to do that in the book too, and give a very human side of the whole experience of trying to be innovators in a new area, blockchain or otherwise, but in this case, the blockchain cases, and then that builds to where the real world present day, we could have things that are based in reality. Where are we at today? Let's draw a line in the sand, look at the baseline. And that sets a precedent, precedent for the future and some of the technologies we started to talk about too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you think about blockchain and how communities develop are developing, a lot of the ethos around blockchain is transparency and like mm -hmm. having an open community. So having these people share their failures will help future leaders or entrepreneurs not make the same mistake. So I'm, I'm glad that, 
you know, people are willing to do that. And, you know, it's a lot of it is in the book and in the videos. So it's really awesome that it's all there. Yeah. I kind of want to touch more upon this aspect of using gaming to improve or incentivize people to improve their health. Yeah, sure. Give me some like, you know, all right, I'm a, I'm a 30 year old person. How can I use gaming to improve my health? Yeah, so one of the things that uh, is important to distinguish is not necessarily playing games. It's using some of the psychology of games. And if you think about it, we have things all the time that are part of the psychology of gaming, too. That might be uh, giving you choices, giving you badges. Even if you look at some of the best um, apps out there for promoting exercise, wellness, or nutrition, they're giving you badges when you have 10 good meals in a row. They're giving you badges when you hit a 5K every Sunday for a month, you know, or when you when you have uh, uh, hit your new goals or plateaus that uh, that you might be striving for, too. Those things are baked in. But really, some of that's uh, game theory and the psychology behind that, too. So let's not confuse, you know, playing games about something very serious like our health with how we might nudge people. One of the incentives that I'm kind of excited about is the fact that across the landscape of industries, but healthcare in particular, you can incentivize people with cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and you can incentivize them with these external motivators too, that not only give them a badge or something that they can be proud of, but also might be able to incentivize them for healthy behaviors too, lowering their premiums by offsetting that with cryptocurrency. Those are things that might make the, the transactions much more complex than we're even looking at today, too. Hence the need for smart contracts or at least that automated processes. But if you're automating that and you're taking a lot of the complexity out and it just becomes something fun and easy, that's where I think these incentives that could go directly to pay or to offsets and rebates are all things that are opening up to the healthcare industry to further engage patients, engage people before they become patients when they're still health consumers, and maybe even change a generation if we think about this going to the millennials and the, the kids uh, now too, if we can get, or get them early enough too, to be focused on health and to play these kind of health games or health game mechanics for the incentives they have those might be things that reshape the whole psychology behind our incentive network and the uh, sometimes uh, reverse incentives that we have throughout the healthcare system. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. But there are some people who, you know, question cryptocurrencies and say, well, you know, I'm a healthcare organization and I incentivize my members by offering them gift cards, you know, or Mm -hmm. offering them gym membership reimbursements or, some in some shape or form us dollars basically mm-hmm. why would cryptocurrencies matter in that case and you mentioned smart contracts and automating those transactions could be done but you could kind of automate you know payments to go into your bank account as well so how do you challenge that um kind it of- wouldn't have to be cryptocurrency it's just that becomes an easy and natural thing if you're using blockchain to automate some of those things it's just one step further into a wallet, you know, a, yeah. a, a cryptocurrency wallet to incentivize people with something that is much more liquid, much more fluid, because then you've democratized this 
people can spend that almost like a flex spending account. They can spend it on what they want that promotes their health, um, not just one program or one gift card or something too. Now, you might say that that doesn't uh, uh, put as much control into the provider's hands of having the patient stay on protocol too. And I'd fully understand that too. But you have more options as a healthcare system, if you're the healthcare system or as a doctor, and you're giving some more power to the patient around that. So I'm not saying it's the only solution or even the best one, but it's one that we thought people hadn't really thought through and that maybe they should. That's fair. <clears throat> How can organizations and leaders find the right relationship between their business model, technical model, and governance? You talk about this in the book, but I'd like for you to describe it here as well. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a complex subject too. Um, because we're still in such a state of flux, things are still being built around us. It's almost like we've got a boat and we're building it as we go too because the, <laughs> it's, the, good it's moving quite fast. Yeah. yeah. So um, the nice thing is there's a lot of technology policy that we can, we can you know, build upon too and building upon a core of cybersecurity, privacy, and then of course the regulations that go with that too, like HIPAA and, and others, um, as well as some of the existing standards like HL7. One of the things I liked was some of the Vanderbilt cases of um, their opportunities to put HL7 and to put uh, blockchain together in uh, some unique ways. And they're still work in progress and testing and stuff too, but I love that uh, some of our academic institutions and some of the companies are starting to build solutions like that too. So I was really glad to have those cases in the book and that thought uh, around that in the book. Those were things that were useful. It's great to have people like uh, Heather Flannery talking about the standards and all the standards bodies that have an interest in this, from IEEE to some of the, the blockchain and healthcare group to some of the things that uh, are going on within HIMS too, and the task force that we're all on that was really a convening part of this organization to bring, sorry, the, of the book, to organize and bring a lot of people around this project too and to offer them to say, hey, anybody's got a good idea, we'd love to hear it and see if it curates nicely and meshes with the other topics within the book. Those are ways we've been able to have some convening power of these standards making bodies and organizations to come together and start to work out those solutions or those use cases and examples around the technology, around the policy, around the people, some of the processes and the standards all coming together. So I think your question is spot on. We're still building the answers to that question. That's fair. Yeah, it'll be an ongoing discussion for, I feel like, decades yeah. to come, to be honest. How do you feel about the traditional EHR companies or traditional you know, EMR companies like Epic and Cerner right now? And do you see that they're encouraged to use blockchain or adopt blockchain? Or, or is it something that might impede on their existing business models? Yeah, it's a political question, too, but I'll, I'll go ahead and give it a shot uh, because... Uh, <laughs> You know, I've seen a lot of the people that I know inside the companies embrace this idea too. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. they're looking to use it first in their ecosystem, and then it remains to be seen if they're going to open up broader than their ecosystem. But they're interested in this technology and how it might work within what's sometimes called a closed chain. And if you think about the closed chain and uh, what that looks like too, it has a lot of the same fundamental characteristics. But then the question will be, will they use this for interoperability? and how they could put together an open chain and 
use this for the interoperability that we've been promised by all the companies right. and all the hospital systems organizations for a long time. And I really think that a lot of this doesn't have anything to do with, with their stance as much as it does some of the fundamental questions uh, that are, that there's answers throughout the book on, you know, within, within the blockchain space, it's a very democratizing and decentralizing effect. But the question becomes, who owns this data? Ah, good question, Is it yeah. the hospital? Is it the government in certain countries or even in the U.S.? Is it uh, the doctors themselves? Are they empowered with their patients they have responsibility for? Or is it the patient? You know? Or is it the insurance company? Well, I vote and, the uh, patient. If you so. ask each of those audiences, you're going to have a different answer from probably each one, right? Yeah. Uh, even if they are really uh, for the patient and their outcomes, too. Oftentimes, there's a you know, kind of benevolent protection of... Uh, of the people who can't care for themselves to buy doctors. They're, they're, they're built to care and to want that. Uh, and it's not a power grab in any way. It's because they care so much about their patients too. So there's no easy answers in that. Yeah, I mean, in that case, you can argue that the patient could still own the data and then give permission, even full permissions to their provider mm -hmm. to access it, yep. change, edit. Um, and even if they want, they can restrict the patient's own ability to change the data in case they don't want them change, you know, mm -hmm. entering bad yeah. data. Don't, don't mess up the records. Yeah. With yeah. Uh, something that's, <laughs> that's hypochondriac in nature too. Like, right. Oh, I think I have bubonic plague, you know, no, you have a fever, you know, you're okay. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I think that that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. I like the way that you're thinking because, um, uh, you can distribute power and people can have power over certain areas based on the technology policy, the blockchain policy, and if you are putting that on a blockchain in the future, your personal health record, or at least the transactional data of that and then storing that somewhere else, you then have a way of kind of determining the technology policy of who has access to what, who can change what, and it starts to automate or semi-automate some of those things. So I think that's a lot of what you might uh, we might see in the future. It's not here yet, though, that I've seen. Yeah, we're definitely still in the early stages of all this, I think. Right. It's exciting, though. It's really interesting to follow and watch and learn about. And uh, your book does a great job, you know, introducing people to it, for sure. It's the start of a conversation yeah. is one of the ways that I look at it. We're so such early days. And it's a conversation, like I said before, with a lot of people. So that's been really fun. The other thing that was fun, too, was going to some of the major blockchain healthcare conferences in the lead up to the book. And getting to record people and kind of have their voice represented and their passion represented and then tell their personal story to take something that is sometimes kind of a, you know, frankly, a dry and technical topic and really add some life to it and hear people's story and their passion around it too and why they think it's going to change uh, some of the fundamentals of, you keep seeing this around the web 3.0 and the next generation of this trusted transactional and distributed or decentralized web. Right. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I got into healthcare is that everyone is at one point in their life been affected by health, healthcare, or will enter the healthcare system in one way or another. So right. um, it's really exciting things. You know, you mentioned a little bit about closed chains and private mm -hmm. chains. And my belief is that the long-term view is going to be a more decentralized open network where private chains won't really be very popular. It kind of the way that intranets are not as popular as the public internet. 
um, and you've probably heard that analogy before. Um, but do you agree? Like that's eventually private chains will become will shift. To yeah, be- I I think the two can coexist, and yeah. I think we're already seeing that in the the uh, open markets too, where you have some sort of closed or semi-closed economies. But there's going to be just like in a in a traditional network, there's going to be gateways. There's going to be um, overlays or meta networks that are on top of other networks too, so that you'll have an open chain and a closed chain coexisting the same way that you might have an intranet if you're in a big company that coexists and has gateways right out into the open internet. And sometimes that's even within the same, let's say take a hospital, for instance, they have a guest network that is available to that rides right alongside, but not on the same network as your, let's call it for your term, intranet infrastructure, where all the medical devices are on and where there's no opportunity for someone who's downloading a video to interfere with the network traffic and the amount of bandwidth and capacity you have for something life-saving like the medical equipment back mm-hmm. behind the door in the emergency room. So I think it's going to be a, a coexist the same way that good network infrastructure has always existed. We're just going to translate that into this modern blockchain era is what I think is going to happen. Interesting. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. On February 13, 2019, two new companies announced that they will be joining Aetna, Anthem, Healthcare Service Corporation, PNC Bank, and IBM in their early-stage blockchain ecosystem. Cigna, one of the largest health insurance companies in the United States, and Centara Healthcare, a nonprofit health system serving Virginia and North Carolina, are the two organizations that will participate in this developing blockchain network to improve transparency and interoperability. The consortium is still analyzing potential first use cases, but IBM and PNC are already collaborating on a way to use blockchain to develop shared efficiencies, promote bundled payments, and improve the quality of care. Cigna CIO and Executive Vice President Mark Boxer says, Cigna sees enormous potential for blockchain to improve the way we harness insights across the healthcare ecosystem to better serve our customers and community. Centara's Chief Information and Innovation Officer and Senior Vice President Mike Regan says, Centara is dedicated to leveraging information technology to continuously improve health every day. Blockchain is posed to help solve some of healthcare's most crucial data security and IT interoperability issues as we look to implement new customer-centric healthcare delivery models. It will take some time before they establish a production-grade system, but it's good to know that these companies realize the importance of collaborating together to increase the overall value of their blockchain ecosystem. And now back to the show with David Metcalf. You know, we talked about some of the useful or, you know, good use cases for blockchain and healthcare. What are some improper use cases or things that should not be put on using blockchain that you can yeah, think of right that's, now. that's a good question. I was kind of thinking about that too and uh, kind of didn't want to throw anybody under the bus. But I will say this. I will say this. I always thought that it was a great use case to have supply chain, to be able to, to do some social good by tracking um, the, the misuse and counterfeit drugs across the, 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 uh, the, the nations too. But I haven't seen anybody be able to find a successful business model yet on that too. I don't know if you've seen that too. But uh, that concerns me because I think it's such a great thing 
but yet I haven't seen anybody really come up with a business model that uh, that does that. And we and we have some cases where they outline those early attempts and early uh, uh, opportunities to do that, and that's kind of what they come up with. So so that might still be one that could have positive results for society in the future. But no one's really cracked the code on that one. Yet. So that, that's um, a little discouraging. I've interviewed Block RX. But I don't know uh-huh. what they're doing yeah. now exactly. This was a yeah. while ago. I think it was my second episode, actually. Uh-huh. So everyone check that out, episode two. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because it still could happen. Yeah. I just have seen a number come and go in that space that they thought that was the absolute best use case. And those companies have either evaporated or mm-hmm. they are doing something else in another industry, too. So mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's one example. And um, I think we're just now getting to the speeds at which you could have um, electronic health records if people think that's a good idea. But here's a scenario that I don't think is a good idea. So let's say that I was uh, misdiagnosed with something and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's part of a permanent blockchain based record that even if it got corrected, you know, say a month from now when I go back to the doctor, all of a sudden during that time frame, it looked like I had, you know, some major illness that I didn't have or something that might even affect the rest of my life in terms of being able to be insured or not having uh, a sign of a pre-existing condition. I could see some nightmare scenarios for people based on the, the same power of the blockchain to have an immutable record and that going wildly wrong for people too. So those things, hmm. I'm, I'm concerned about that for, for people too, because we've all seen errors in medical records too. It's a, it's a human process and it's a complex process too that's probably not going to change for a little while so those potentials for errors that's that concerns me a little bit yeah that's true i mean people talk about you could still append the blockchain in a future block but you know i still wonder what if during that one month it was wrong that data was used for some sort of research you know and Mm -hmm. that was bad data taken out uh right so all these things have to be thought through. How can various stakeholders benefit in the blockchain ecosystem? So I'm talking patients, providers, payers, pharma, researchers. If you want to take them one at a time, uh, I think we <laughs> understand how patients kind of can benefit. But yeah. let's think about how providers can benefit. Yeah, so I, I like some of the cases that are in, uh, in the book uh, around how providers can um, have better control over their identity and their credentials. So things like uh, professional credential exchange uh, has a case in there too with Anthony Bagando and some of the team that's a spinoff from Hashed Health from, from John Bass's uh, area. And uh, I, I was really bullish on this. They, they won the uh, distributed health uh, competition a couple years ago because it was such, I thought, such a good idea to, to think about how you could verify your credentials across state lines, or if you're moving internationally, you have the ability to do that. And if you start adding other things to it, like your maintenance certification, your CME, you can have something that becomes an immutable record of something that really doesn't change a whole lot. Your, where you went to medical school is not going to change. You went to medical right. school there, and that's going to be with you your whole life. But being able to verify it, especially in, in um, tightly controlled situations and things that have a time clock on them, like responding to, well, in a national disaster, they're kind of waves sometimes, but if, when you're responding to something that's a crisis situation that you need to be credentialed, 
in another state or something to go and help out. So like after our hurricanes down here in Florida, those yeah. are the types of things that uh, it's great to think that we're going to speed up and automate some of that process and give doctors more control over their credentials too. Because if multiple sources of authority can have control over that credential at any time, your alma mater, your, your, where you went to medical school or where you went to nursing school, could have some say in, in that being a valid record and, and a, a valid uh, set of credentials. You have some say. Your training providers or your CMA providers have some say, as well as your employer, your current hospital system you might work within too. Or if you're working in two hospital systems, they could each have some shared control. That's what the distributed and decentralized nature of this is going to bring to, to the professions, to, the, to doctors, nurses, and others, too. So I'm, I'm bullish on that. I think that there's uh, clear business models for that. If you look at how much people pay to have CME and to have their credentials verified from multiple sources of trust, whether that's the American College of X, Y, and Z, or your alma mater, your school you went to, or the last hospital system, or some combination of those. Sometimes you have to show records of all of those things all at once. That can take a long time from the cases they show in the, in the book too, and what Leah Houston says too, and some of the other cases that are in there. So there's multiple organizations that are showing that this is both a valid concern and the blockchain has a real chance of being a solution in this or part of a solution. You know, I never thought about the use case in an emergency, how providers need to be verified pretty quickly in order for them to start Mm -hmm. um, providing service to patients and anyone, uh, people. So I think that's really a good use case. And, you know, you're talking about how there are a few people that have a say in a person's degree, medical degree, for example, but you can extend that, right? You can talk about Mm -hmm. anyone in any kind of degree. You can even Mm -hmm. have each professor every class that they've taken put on the blockchain like they're great for example i mean that's taking it like many steps further yeah it becomes the immutable transcript of the future too if you want to go down to that level i think there's gonna be a lot of smart people looking at what level you should go down to and what's too much and things like that too but uh we're we're bullish on being able to go all the way down to the credential level and maybe down to what we call the competency level or showing their mastery in certain areas so Mm. that's a a whole movement in education, competency-based education, and having an adaptive and personalized pathway through your learning. So that's how some people could maybe speed through medical school. Some people might take more time, and you can personalize the whole experience, even to the specialty level. Those are things that uh, a lot of people are looking at ways that they could change medical education for the better, to give you more practice, to give you more opportunity to get all the way to mastery, not just a minimum competence level too, which I'm not saying is where people get to just giving you examples. Right, right. Very cool. How do you think payers and insurance companies will be benefiting from a blockchain ecosystem? Because I've, you know, seen a lot of insurance companies talk about blockchain and trying to adopt it in one way or another or have trials mm-hmm. or pilot projects. But I don't think anyone's really delivered something yet, I think. Yeah, we were pretty excited about some of the interoperability and maybe speeding up some of the payment processes that we saw from like uh, Synaptic and their example too, from Humana and uh, Quest and others too, and that. And then also uh, Change Health and what they're doing too to kind of speed up some of those processes. That was pretty exciting to see what was um, possible in those uh, different categories too for payers. But if you think about how much 
time there is in administration to go to the provider, uh, the, the hospital system administrators, and the uh, the payers too. Those processes, those administrative costs, could be lowered over the course of time, and more of those dollars could be applied to care directly to, to direct patient care. So I think that would benefit everybody in the system too, and still have plenty of, of, of money and also de-risking on the payer side too, that whole that whole process. So if you could speed that up, those are things I think that blockchain is going to continue to help us with. So wouldn't these administrative costs mean that some people will either lose their job or they won't be doing the same things that they used to be doing? So. Or yeah. is that just being well, cynical? No, I, I think um, there are reasons why this is considered disruptive technology. And that's yeah. exactly one of them is that uh, if you can take out some of the middlemen, middlewomen uh, that are in this process, too, then that's going to reduce our costs. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen the most recent stats, but some of the ones that I've seen show that uh, uh, one out of every three dollars that's spent is spent on administration. Others show that two out of every three dollars that's spent healthcare, it's been an administrative cost too within the system, not directly to care. If that's the case, well, there's a lot of room for improvement in the whole process. And if blockchain is doing that, I'm sure we're going to grow other jobs for some of the people too. Maybe they'll become the ones writing smart contracts within a blockchain rather than doing some other administrative job too. These things always come and go in cycles, it seems too. But uh, if, uh, if there are things, you know, with artificial intelligence that, uh, you're not doing having people, many, as many people doing coding and other things too. There's going to be disruption and disintermediation across the network too. And blockchain is one of those technologies. I don't think we can make any bones about that throughout the book. That that's part of what's coming. You can either get paired. You know, you can be either be uh, part of the steamroller or part of the road. You know, you kind right. of choose for yourself too. And uh, that's really where it is. I think a fundamentally disruptive technology to the status quo. And the status quo will fight back no matter what part you're talking about, whether it's the things that are going to change insurance, the things that are going to change the hospital and healthcare systems, the providers, the doctors, or even right. the patient too. They're going to, there's going to be some resistance along the way. Yeah, I agree. And we're already kind of seeing that to a degree. <laughs> I'm just hoping that with all this technology coming out, people will realize their human side more and start to empathize with patients on a more deeper level instead of mm -hmm. focusing on like the financial part or just like getting a body from exam room A to exam room B, they're going to communicate with them more. And I think that a lot of hospitals do a great job uh, communicating mm -hmm. with the patient and, you know, being human with them. Um, but mm -hmm. it doesn't happen everywhere. And I think in the places where it doesn't happen, it's because there's a lot of contention around how much am I going to pay or, you know, is this doctor a good doctor? So all these like mm -hmm. questions that don't get answered will be answered and it'll give an opportunity for patients and the staff as well as the nurses and providers to um, just be more open and helpful overall because yeah. these people are seeing patients every day so they know what these people are going through so they can kind of describe what's next or what they can do to cope or you know get better yeah well, I hope for that too that we can be high tech and high touch not right. just uh, you know, one or the other too and um some of the things that you said too, if you think about getting longer patient encounters too, and being able to track quality, the quality of that encounter through the blockchain, those are other things that might lead to better care, better, faster, cheaper care, kind of the triple aim. <clears throat> and being able to measure some of those things, blockchain is very good at measurement. 
So, you know, holding, holding some sure. of that data and keeping track of measurements. Those are things that I think uh, hold a lot of promise for us in the future. What would you ask health, a healthcare or financial regulators to do or understand about this new token economy? Yeah, that was a tough one for me because I'm not as much of a policy guy as a tech guy, but uh, I'll give you my, my best shot at it too. Um, I think I would uh, want to have them understand and look at the standards and the standards making bodies and see where there needs to be some policy adjustments within that too. So if you could um, use that to do things like align incentives to speed up automated processes, those are some of the things that I think uh, could help the whole healthcare system to uh, changing some of those incentives too, and seeing if those incentives could better align and then using the blockchain to automate or track that too. The other thing that I really liked is there's a, the last chapter of the book, we put it last for a reason too, kind of points to the future of scientific evidence and how it's verified and validated. It's by Sean Mannion from Science yeah. Distributed and uh, his team. And they really have done a great job of trying to look at the verification using blockchain of scientific or drug discovery results too. And I think that those are things that if our regulators looked at that, but not just looked at it, but trusted that, it might be that we could speed up this 17-year innovation cycle for the time when something starts going through the process of innovation and finally hits the, the provider conscience, you know, where, the, where everybody knows this is the best procedure, this is the best way to do that. So those are some of the things that, uh, that I think holds a lot of hope for the future and that I'd like to see our regulators look at. The good news is, is that uh, some of the more enlightened ones from the government are starting to look at that too and, and see that they could use that to verify and trust and maybe, um, maybe provide some speed <laughs> in that process. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the science distributed project Sean's working on, it's a great idea. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'd love to have him on the show as well as a lot of other contributors yeah. <laughs> of the book yeah, yeah. for sure. There's a lot of great people with great stories and uh, they're doing great things in the space, but uh, Sean is definitely one of them. Yep. Totally. Good stuff. Were there any events or announcements in the healthcare blockchain space that were, you know, very un unexpected or surprising to you and why? Um, <laughs> we get a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, intel about what's going on in the space too. But I, w I was really glad to see, um, consensus health there too, um, in a, in a bigger way at HEMS. And, um, I was, um, sad that we couldn't report on, uh, anything with Pocketdoc because of the timing mm -hmm. of their transaction, uh, being bought by change and, you know, McKesson too. So, you know, the McKesson mothership, uh, mm -hmm. but we weren't able to put that in the book. Um, we, we, mm -hmm. you know, just for the reasons of they're in the middle of an M&A transaction. So that's something that I wish we wouldn't have missed on, but just the timing when the book was going, when their transaction was going, it just didn't work out. And there was no way to do that and be in compliance with, I'm sure, SEC regulations and just their own privacy and uh, security around the, the deal. So those are a couple of things from an announcement standpoint that didn't quite time out with uh, the book. Um, and then um, seeing the momentum around something like Consensus Health and all the things that they sponsored at Hims and uh, the groups that they helped convene was uh, was pretty interesting. I was I was glad to see that too. We saw a lot of our friends there too, so we didn't see a, a lot of new companies we hadn't heard about or anything too. But uh, stay tuned. We're going to continue to see some other ones too.
Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, just in the last few years, I mean, the healthcare blockchain space is still relatively new. What, like three, four years old, maybe five. And there's just yeah. been so much activity, and it's really exciting. And I've been trying to get Ted Ted Tanner from Polkadot for for a yeah, while. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He might be where he can, or others can talk uh, now that they're not under the uh, umbrella of an M and A transaction. So. Right. Yeah. Why is community so critical for successful blockchain implementations? So let's face, we're on a journey. We're all learning right now, too. So it's uh, it's great to convene through a book like this or through other uh, things, too, that uh, bring the community together, like the standards bodies. Those are some of the things that uh, are pretty exciting. Okay. Um, do you have any kind of 2019 and beyond research outlooks you want to discuss? Anything <laughs> maybe not related to blockchain, but that incorporates AI or augmented reality or IOT or something? Yeah, so um, I'm really interested in what happens when you start to apply blockchain across multiple vertical industry segments. The most logical in what we're talking about is blockchain applied to healthcare and insurance. So you think of health tech and inst tech kind of coming together. Hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of synergy and power unlocked within that space too. And uh, Alex and I were in, Alex uh, Kahana and I were in Geneva a few weeks ago, right before some of the, the Davos talks. And uh, I thought there was a lot of uh, good opportunity in that. Thinking about how you might even have things like uh, uh, wearables that uh, have a, um, a cold storage wallet built into the, the wearable. And it doesn't have to be a watch. I'm just pointing to watches the most likely. Right. It could be a piece of jewelry. It could be something else that... Uh, looks like a family heirloom, but is actually storing your, Something not intimate. just your crypto wealth, you know, which is right. what you normally think of a wallet used for, but the same way that a wallet might store your insurance card, information mm-hmm. about your health, your vitals, things like that. Hey, don't give me penicillin. I'm allergic to penicillin, the equivalent of your medical alert bracelet, all kind of right there in your record. Some of the personal health records and how they might be applied in the near future. We got to see uh, Wise Key's solution for that in, uh, they're, they're based in Geneva and uh, some, or Switzerland and some of the other groups too. There's just some things that are happening internationally that uh, haven't really quite made it on the shores. We, we tried to show that in our uh, blockchain and wearables session that we did at HIMSS, but uh, it seemed like it was an aha moment for a lot of people to think about some of those areas starting to interoperate and how those were coming together. Yeah, it's interesting. There was an announcement by Samsung and their new S10 Galaxy phone will have a cryptocurrency wallet embedded within it. So, um, Yeah, I saw that. I just thought about that too. Yeah, yeah that's a, you that's can a great imagine example. Yeah. They can yeah. go straight into their, you know, their S3, their Galaxy S3 or S4, yeah. S5, whatever they have next. I, um, I also went to a conference in the Bahamas that had a, you know, really great cast of characters, people like Aubrey de Grey from Longevity <laughs> and uh, Peter Diamandis and Desiree Cox uh, from, from the Bahamas too. Uh, all kind of coming together to talk about this intersection of digital health and blockchain and genomics and yeah. medical tourism. So if you think about the future where you might be going, uh, you know, if we continue to have a lot of regulation, there might be some uh, someplace else in the world that can do something safely with some regulation, but be able to be on the, the leading edge of things like CRISPR or some of the genetics research. 
wouldn't you want that tracked in a way, you know, immutable record or something too that might tie in with blockchain and your digital health records all packaged in a nice medical tourism, uh, you know, go to the Bahamas to have your procedure and recover type of activity. So those are some of the crossroads, examples of the crossroads that I see some really sophisticated, really, really smart people starting to look at too. And um, that was a really fun conference to reimagine the future of healthcare with people like that. Yeah, I'm sure any time in the Bahamas is a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but you know, we live in Florida, so it's kind of, you know, we, we kind of have vacation every weekend uh, the same way too, but it was really nice over there too. And mm. just seeing the difference in some of the ways they think about uh, health and regulation too. Mm. You, you realize you're, you're only uh, a less than an hour flight away, but you're, you're kind of in a different uh, part of the world, a different thought process around healthcare. And uh, I think that could be very positive. Interesting. I agree. Yeah, I, I kind of want to know about your like favorite blockchain projects that are going on. I, we talked about a bunch already, but are there any specific? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get people mad at me answering that question too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I mentioned before Procredix. I, I like what they're doing and uh, some of some of the things that they're uh, attempting to do with medical credentials too. And we're trying to piggyback on some of that too with some of the the learning aspects and competency and proof of competency that you might have in a person. Um, so that's exciting. I am excited about some of the uh, blockchain meets health games examples too, that are starting to come out and emerge too. So those are some of the ones that uh, I'm watching too. I was just on the phone earlier today with Nolan Bushnell talking about this, you know, Nolan, he's the inventor of Pong and the founder of Atari. He okay. gave Steve Jobs his first job. And then also, uh, for those of us who grew up in my era, he started Chuck E. Cheese also. So uh, he's had quite the career, but he's also one of the first people to have a, a, a coin, sort of like a token for uh, games and blockchain you know, coming together to reward your, your players too. So I like watching a lot of the things that people like him have always been innovators do too. And then, um, you know, a lot of great projects within there. I love some of the big uh, enterprise projects, too. Some of the things we're going to see in the standards committees that are building those. Uh, David Holding talks about some of the stuff that uh, they're yeah, doing David's at Microsoft. Great. And yeah, yeah. yeah, you interviewed him at one point in time, too. And, uh, and then also some of the, uh, the future state projects. I was really interested in seeing Estonia and how they're keeping track of all sorts of government records across there, including health records. And then they're translating their expertise to Dubai and other cities and countries across the globe too. So that spirit of cooperation and community that you talked about, it's international and it's, it's kind of cool. So yeah. I, I get excited about those things. So as you can tell from the list, I'm excited about almost everything that we chose to curate and put in the book, but uh, yeah. Hey, that's the nature of where we're at right now too. There's just a lot of exciting things going on. Yeah. I'm still reading through the book, but so far I've really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to finishing it. Um, <laughs> the next few days or weeks um, i have one last question before you know sure. you could talk about whatever else you want as well uh who is your favorite like researcher business person scientist in history or now oh gosh that's a that yeah that is a tough question i was looking at that one uh too um so it's it's probably a combination but uh one of the groups that I've studied that is a little understudied because it was right at the time of the Revolutionary War, we don't really talk about great things going on in, in, uh, in, in Britain, but something called the Lunar Society. And if you look at the Lunar Society, 
people like Priestley that were coming together with Watt, with Wedgwood, names we all know that there's still products right now too. It's mm. exciting to think about that same spirit of innovation and multiple people from interdisciplinary groups all coming together for, they call it Lunar Society because they got together once a month under the light of the full moon because they didn't have, you know, <laughs> electrical street lamps and stuff. So that was the safe time to travel once a month to get together and entertain themselves with science, entertain mm. themselves with invention and discovery. That was when prisms to divide light were discovered. That was when the ability to capture oxygen tubes were discovered. There was all these great discoveries. Benjamin Franklin went over there and this group was the first ones to mint uh, with William Wilberforce abolitionist um, coins too, to bring back to the Americas when we were mm. still friends too. Benjamin Franklin coming over too. So there's so many things too that had a social purpose as well as a scientific purpose. And that's some of what I see in the same spirit of innovation that we have now in some of these incredible areas, the crossroads of blockchain and these other areas. So, so I think it's not one person, but I think it's the Lunar Society. Good answer. I like that one. <laughs> uh, well, David, you know, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. I think it, this was a really cool conversation. I think audience will like it too. Is there anything you want to <laughs> okay, leave okay. them with? And well, I just want to say, you know, this this book is really a compilation of so many people's hard work and their efforts over multiple years, not just the year we spent putting the book together, but capturing their voices, capturing their stories. I think that's going to point all of us, the readers and the community that put the book together um, there. So I'm just so thankful for uh, for 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 John uh, Bass, for Max Hooper, for Vikram Dillon, for Alex Kahana as doing yeoman's work and heavy lifting on this too, but also each of the 50 plus contributors in the book too, that, uh, that uh, made it what it is too. And that it's, like I said, just the start of the conversation. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'd invite your audience to continue with any feedback, but also um, as we do other editions of this book or have other, other stories that unfold to love to hear more through both your network and also others about what they're doing in blockchain. Absolutely. What's the best way people can reach you? Um, probably through uh, email. Uh, that's dmetcalf at ist.ucf.edu. Might be the best way to reach me. Okay, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes, everybody. Um, cool. David, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.